This is a 980 CKNW podcast. You are live with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here in studio. I've got uh, my co-host Graham Williams with me today. Thanks for coming in, Graham. Always glad to be here. Got lots to talk about. Uh, We'll be talking about Office Suites. What do you use? Are you a Microsoft uh, Office 365 person or are you more of a a Google person? Well, we'll give you a lowdown on some uh, updating uh, breaking news on uh, that. And uh, we'll also uh, be chatting about 3D printed shoes. 3D printed shoes. Uh, Believe it or not, it's uh, coming sooner than you think. Let's talk about some of the news, though, uh, this week, uh, Graham. Very interesting. Uh, the EU, European Union, has slapped a $5 billion fine on Google for their Android operating system on smartphones and tablets. This one's kind of turned about being fair play a little bit because, uh, you know, Google basically has been told that they need to uncouple uh, their apps from Android. So, you know, your uh, your Chrome browser, your Google Docs, that sort of thing, um, which is something that... Uh, happened to Microsoft because of Google remember that? many, many moons ago with yes. Internet Explorer. And so for Google to complain about this, I think, is the height of hypocrisy. Um, you know, if it was good enough for Microsoft way back when, it's definitely good enough for Google now. So uh, welcome to the show, Google. Uh, you don't get to stick your apps in and rely on a business model that you have said is, you know, based on uh, perpetuating things with these free apps. Uh, if you were able to do it to Microsoft so far back uh, many years ago. Yeah, and you remember that. So that was a big thing back, uh, way back, uh, where Microsoft basically owned the browser market uh, and also the desktop operating system. And uh, there was a lot of antitrust uh, things going around uh, that. Yeah, they had to uh, allow uh, other guys to come on to uh, their desktop. Yeah, which was an absolute boon for Chrome. Uh, I mean, the thing here is that Google is saying that they can't make Android profitable if they don't uh, bundle these apps in. So they're saying that possibly they're going to have to start to charge for Android, which, I mean, again, like call the ambulance on this one here. Uh, <laughs> You know, uh, if you can't make this thing profitable, maybe you could Google search for it, Google, um, figuring out a way to to make that happen. Um, But they're saying now that they're going to have to possibly charge uh, cell phone makers for Android, possibly driving up the cost of Android, um, Android phones. Yeah, to which I say, how much could it drive it up? Well, and and this is a thing, you know, are you looking to charge $10, $30, $129, the price of of Windows way back when? Um, If you if you can't fund Android, which is an open source piece of software that you have decided to, uh, you know, you brought into your your ecosystem and you decided to uh, to continue developing and you've got all of these apps that you plug into it. If you can't make that profitable, then maybe you shouldn't be making it at all. Well, it's interesting. And again, for the listeners out there, Android is uh, Google's operating system for smartphones. It's used by a majority of the world's smartphones out there. I think almost 75% if I'm not 75 mistaken. if not 80, yeah. It's, and it's way up there. And uh, the reason why it's become so popular is because they essentially gave it away free to all the cell phone manufacturers that wanted to use it. And it was, uh, you know, at the time, uh, you know, a decent competitor to the the whole Apple iPhone ecosystem. Yeah, and I mean, we we saw Microsoft do this, where they would take technologies in many, many moons ago. They would do something to it, change it, manipulate it, embrace, extend, and then extinguish. Um, we, we've seen Google do this in a number of cases. You know, Google Reader is probably one of my favorite uh, examples, where they basically took over the newsreader market, got people hooked on Google Reader, and then killed it. So you had all of these, uh, you know, paid newsreader programs that people used to use. Uh, they drove them all out of business, 
and then decided that it wasn't profitable for them anymore and decided to uh, go do something else. This to me is 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 Google's, you know, business acumen in a nutshell where they basically can't figure out what they want to do with something but they look at something that somebody else is doing and go we can do it better and cheaper for free and then they lose interest um somebody's got to shake things up over there it'll be interesting to see what happens they're obviously going to appeal that uh, decision i don't know how far they're going to get with it but you know it was interesting five billion dollars you're like oh my god that is a huge sum of money i think that's two weeks of revenue for Google. It's a drop in the bucket. So maybe just stop complaining and realize that perhaps you do need to decouple these things and figure out what your model is going to be from here on out, Google. I I'm, believe in you. I think that's their strategy. They're probably <laughs> you know, making a big deal out of this, even though they're like laughing in the background. Five billion, is that all? <laughs> Hang on, check the couch. I think it's got it over there. <laughs> <laughs> also here uh, in the news, uh, we're talking uh, tech news here on Get Connected. Uh, Amazon Prime Day happened this week. Um uh, Amazon's attempt to make another Black Friday day in July, I yeah. think, right? Yeah. Yeah, Christmas in July. And uh, some pretty interesting results. Over 100 million products sold in that 36 hours. Jeff Bezos, once again, uh, hitting his top spot of the world's richest men at $150 billion net worth. I'm so happy for him. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> Did you buy anything? Yes. <laughs> you know, you're not, I, bought, I bought a lot of 404 errors right off the bat. And oh, yeah, the so app, that was a big thing. Uh, right out of the gate when they launched uh, Amazon Prime Day, there was a lot of uh, outages. Yeah, so so I, I got a bunch of 404s in my desktop browser, and I got a bunch of pictures of cute puppies in the mobile app. I kind of lost interest. It was it was too I, much I, like hard work. I, I, to, to be honest, Graham, uh, there were some good deals, and you can see in their sales, on, on some of the actual Amazon products, you know, the uh, the Echo speakers. Yeah. And that was their top selling items, the Echo speaker and the Fire Stick. Yeah. Uh, by far, apparently. Uh, but I, I didn't, you know, the deals, were they impressive? I don't know. It, it didn't blow me away. I, I've kind of got to the point now where, it, like, honestly, I'm not buying things that I don't need. And I was sort of looking around at my home ecosystem and I'm like, I don't really have anything that I need right now. Yeah. I, could I get another Echo Dot? Sure, I could. But it was an Echo Dot with a TP-Link plug, and I didn't really need that. Yeah. So I kind of looked at it and went, ah, you know what? With the amount of difficulty I'm having trying to check out, I'll check it out later. And then just didn't come back. Uh, so I don't know if anybody else had the same experience as I did, but I just I lost interest. Well, it's interesting looking at some of the numbers here. Over 300,000 Instapots were sold. And uh, the Amazon Marketplace, uh, and some people don't realize this, but when you're on Amazon buying stuff, it's not necessarily Amazon that you're buying it from. You could potentially be buying it from, you know, one of thousands uh, or tens of thousands of small businesses that use the Amazon engine to sell stuff. Uh, those small businesses racked up over $1 billion in sales. Absolutely. Now, here's the interesting thing. The Instapot was a great sale down in the States. It was on for 58 bucks US. Yeah. It wasn't a great price here in Canada. I found that. I yeah. found that a lot of the Canadian prices, eh. Yeah. Like some of the US stuff, I'm thinking, okay, that's not bad. But uh, in Canada, you'd look up some of the equivalent uh, you know, deals and it just it didn't blow me away. Ne and you mentioned a, a site uh, you know, before uh, the show, Camel, 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 yes. that actually did some analysis on, uh, on the deals. Yeah. So if you're, if you're buying anything from Amazon, I'd recommend Camel, Camel, Camel. It's camelcamelcamel.com. And in the top right-hand corner, you can click on the, uh, the flag and change it to Canada paste an Amazon link in and it will show you the historical pricing on that product. So you can see if it actually is an aggressive deal or not. 
And in a lot of cases, you'll find that when things are advertised as like 30% off, 50% off, 80% off, they're not actually so. And we we have retail pricing in Canada that people are supposed to adhere to. Uh, I used to work for Best Buy many, many moons ago, and they did a lot of really hard work to make sure that they were in accordance to this retail pricing guide. Um, you know, if you, you if you made a savings claim, it had to be accurate. And I'm not really sure, you know, how that's being worked around uh, with, with some of these different sales online. Uh, but Campbell, Campbell, Campbell actually does a really great job of keeping you in the know as to whether or not you're getting a historical low price or not. I never heard of that before. Yeah, it's it's a very handy little site. Yeah, that'd be cool. So, in your opinion, Amazon Prime Day, winner or <laughs> or just meh? For me, it was meh. Yeah, yeah. Well, they still sold billions of dollars, <laughs> so I'm thinking for, they're winning for Amazon. Thumbs up for me. Meh, meh. Uh, one last story here before we hit the break. Uh, Facebook, uh, as always, in the news. Uh, they're in front of Congress again defending their decision on keeping InfoWars around. For listeners who don't know what InfoWars uh, is, it's a, uh, a media uh, company, a radio show, website down in the U.S. that basically spouts conspiracy theories. It's a bit of a parody of reality. Absolutely yes. not connected to the truth in any way, shape, or form. And it's crazy. If you've ever listened to some of the stuff uh, this, this guy says uh, on the InfoWars radio show, it is crazy. <laughs> it's just crazy crap. Yeah. But anyway, Facebook still allows them to be part of the Facebook and they've, world. And they've gone back to Congress saying that they are defending freedom of speech by allowing this on their private platform. I know, but a lot of the stuff that this guy's saying is completely factually incorrect. I, I, I love Ted Liu. He's a he's a representative down in California, and he just said, what a dumb hearing this is. We're having this ridiculous hearing on the content of free speech in private companies, because free speech actually doesn't apply with private companies. It's actually about what the government has the ability to do to restrict you. Yes. Uh, once again, I mean, I've expressed my disappointment with Facebook so many times that I think it's probably getting repetitive for our listeners. But heck, guys, over at Facebook, what are you doing? Get this stuff off your site. On that note, we're going to have to take a break. When we come back, more tech to talk. We'll uh, also uh, be chatting uh, uh, about uh, Google and Microsoft squaring off in the office space, who's winning that that whole world, and a whole lot more. You're listening to Get Connected, brought to you by London Drugs here on the Chorus Radio Network. We'll be back after this. You are back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here in studio. Still lots of tech to talk today, but I want to turn to uh, a more serious uh, nature when it comes to technology. Uh, as uh, we advance in technology, so does uh, technology in cars. However, is that making it more dangerous when we're out on the road? A new survey from the Allstate Insurance Company of Canada claims that uh, some of this latest in-car technology is causing road safety uh, to take a back seat. Just uh, over a 1,000 people completed a, a company survey they did, and uh, the results show that 91% of Canadian drivers admit to engaging in risky behavior when they're behind the wheel. On the line, we've uh, got our friend Dennis Talbot. He is uh, our, uh, our French tax expert uh, here in Canada. Thanks for joining us, Dennis. My pleasure, my friend. Uh, were you surprised uh, by these survey results? I thought, honestly, it was be it would be ninety hundred percent of us being distracted by tech. We all have done that. We all have been, you know, playing with our phones, our our new watch, connected watch. Uh, I, I, listen, if the one percent that tells us that, uh, or the ten percent that tells us that they never touch the phone and never, you know, I don't believe them. 
<laughs> tell you the truth. I don't believe that. We all saw this person at the light, you know, with uh, looking at his knees uh, while uh, the, the, the the light is green, uh, is red, and when it turns to green, uh, you know, still being very concentrated on what they're doing on their phone or whatever, and then we have to unk them, and they slam on the gas, and they go away. But, you know, distraction is it can be also uh, done by, you know, lack of preparation. Let's say you're going on vacation. Uh, you know, and you want to listen to car music. Let's, you know, a trip. Let's let's have a nice playlist. Let's play. You know, let's do it. Let's make a playlist while we we're driving. And that's not a good idea. <laughs> Be prepared before leaving, and you know, you'll have much more fun. You know, people don't do that. They just get in the car and they go improvise and <laughs> let's go program the GPS while driving. That's kind of hard, kind of dangerous. And that's this is uh, what happens is, uh, on, especially on Fridays, if you're leaving on Fridays, this is where all the accidents are happening. Statistically, there's much more accidents on Fridays. So be careful today. Well, it's interesting. I mean, you got a, brought up a good point, being prepared. Uh, yeah, so many times I'm in my car and I want to listen to songs that I have on my Apple Music uh, or Spotify on my phone. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm trying to figure that out uh, hands-free while I'm driving, but, you know, it doesn't always work that well. Sometimes I'm, you know, going into my phone, which is highly dangerous. And, uh, you know, again, looking at these survey results, it looks like we're all doing it. Yeah, and especially when you have a new car. How many of us do really read the uh, thick ma- instruction manual that comes with the, the new cars today? Uh, I don't know if you saw the manual for a Tesla car. <laughs> God, no. get ready to be patient and read and read on. And especially in that car where there's a, it looks like a big iPad, you know, from two inches long, uh, 24 inches long by 16 inches wide, right in the middle of the car. It is so tempting just to look at it and fiddle around with temperature and... Uh, honey, is, are you too cold? Let me fiddle around with. Okay, are you okay now? Yeah, want me to put the the, t- the roof down and stuff. But while you're doing this, you're driving on a, a highway. You 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 tend to forget that you're you're doing. 100 kilometers per hour, and, and that you're supposed to looking at the road and not at all these gizmos. They are fun. They are so attractive. You know, yeah. it's beautiful. You you feel you know. Once you go into the, the 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 tech mode, you you get like hypnotized by that, and you stop doing what you should be doing is driving. Well, you know, we we've seen some advances in uh, you know the the screen technology and in, in the newer car. Uh, entertainment systems. Do you think things like uh, Apple CarPlay and Android Auto uh, are, are making it safer for drivers? The more we advance uh, in the tech, uh, auto tech world, the more we'll see those little security features that will stop us from using it, to, uh, you know, from having our eyes leaving the road while fiddling around with the tech. Uh, remember when the first uh, cruise control came out and this guy thought that he could put it, uh, you know, on and have a coffee, make a coffee in his <laughs> RV while going on the other route. Uh, I don't know if he had a chance to taste his coffee, but he sure tasted uh, what, uh, what happens when you're not driving carefully. carefully. But it's the same thing with the, the, um, uh, the GPS. Remember, we, we were able at the first, the first cars that came out with GPS, we were able to change the destination while driving and then you can't do that anymore but we still can do it on the phone but i think the more we advance in the, in the, you know in the, uh, the, the the when the new cars come out we'll see more little features like that 
that will stop us from, uh, you know, uh, being care- careless while driving. Even with the uh, backup cams, I don't know if you, you like those uh, those cameras. It's, it's fantastic. You know, you stay in the car, you watch the little screen, you back up. But it doesn't cover all the back of the car. We tend to forget that. So people with those those gadgets forget one thing. They have on their shoulders, they have a head that can turn. <laughs> you can turn around and look from left to right and complete the old security perimeter around the car to be safe. We tend to forget that. You should see my neighbor. He's got a special relationship with his, uh, his uh, uh, garbage can, man. <laughs> I think that his kids do that on purpose. They put it in back of the car in the blind spot and you hear bedang bedang every morning so anyway it's, it's uh, you know the tech is fun I'm a big tech tech fan I love that like you you know we like to try new stuff And but sometimes we tend to forget that it can be also very distracting not because you have 16 sensors around a truck or kind of a brand new SUV uh, that it's not like in Star Trek it won't protect you from collisions <laughs> it tells no. you what it, it can be dangerous but if it, all the bells and whistles are going on all the time and you don't know what they mean or there's too many false positives, you tend not to listen to them anymore. And this is, uh, it, that's when uh, accidents happen. We're talking with Dennis Talbot, our uh, Canadian tech expert uh, out uh, east. Uh, Dennis, thank you so much for joining us today and talking about this uh, Allstate Insurance uh, survey they did. Uh, where can people find out more information about you? You can find out more about me, well, uh, if you want to check on iTunes. I'm number two right now in the tech uh, section. Uh, I'm doing this French show on technology and also uh, doing this uh, TV show on Twitch, which is going well. Uh, you should uh, have a look and uh, come and join us and chat. Thank you f- again for joining us, Dennis. My pleasure, friend. We come back from the break. More tech to talk here on Get Connected. You're listening to Get Connected, brought to you by London Drugs here on the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. You are back with Get Connected, Mike Agarbo here in studio. Well, uh, we all wear shoes. We all buy lots of shoes, some more than others. How would you like to have a 3D pair printed shoes or a 3D printed pair of shoes? On the line, we've got our uh, good friend Mandy Kovacs from IT World Canada. Thanks for joining us, Mandy. Thanks for having me. So 3D printers, are they good enough to make shoes now? Yes, basically, if HP has anything to do with it. Um, I chatted with Trisha Dugan, who's the Vice President and Head of Immersive Computing at HP a few weeks ago, um, because HP has developed a platform that lets you essentially create custom-fitted and personalized footwear and insoles, uh, and they're calling it FitStation Technology. And so what they've done, this platform um, has a lot of parts to it. So there's a physical kiosk that basically 3D scans your feet and measures for things like pressure points and gait, uh, and even heel placement, and then a computer system essentially creates a digital 3D replica of your foot. Uh, and then that system can give people footwear recommendations, insole recommendations, and right now it can be used uh, to 3D print customized insoles. So while we're not quite at 3D printed shoes yet, that is kind of the next step. And HP has partnered with a company called Brooks. Uh, they make running shoes, obviously, and um, Brooks has promised that they'll be using this to offer 3D printed shoes uh, in early 2019. So it's really not that far off anymore. That's amazing. I, I would love something like this. You know, everyone's uh, feet uh, obviously are different. Even between your feet, they're different, uh, you know, as far as size and, and shape. But being able to have, even just have a, a 3D printed insole that's customized for your foot, uh, for your runner or your shoes would be fantastic. 
Exactly. It's really a huge market right now. And actually, this technology is being used at 25 stores across the U.S. right now. I'm not quite sure about Canada, but um, it's a partnership with a brand called Superfeet. So if those exist anywhere in Canada, uh, they might actually have this FitStation technology uh, set up, and you can just go in uh, and get your personal recommendations. It's really cool. Um, and, yeah, I think it's the future of, uh, of shoes and, and the footwear industry. But it'll be interesting. Uh, obviously, you know, it's highly customizable nature right now. This is going to add some price to, to these types of shoes. Yes, it'll add price. And you know what? It might even add time as well because you're no longer walking into a store and take, taking something off the shelf anymore. I mean, as technology uh, gets faster and 3D printing kind of speeds up, maybe we'll see a 3D printed shoe in an hour or two. But right now, something like that uh, of that magnitude or complexity uh, will probably take at least a day to print. So, yeah, it's definitely not an instant thing. A day, uh, a day to print? Thing. <laughs> a day to print? Yes. Those going to be like $1,000 shoes. That can be thousand dollar yeah. shoes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We have a three D printer in our office, um, and to even print this, the smallest little thing takes like an overnight uh, time frame. So we kind of have to be prepared for that. Yeah, it's interesting. Three D printers were a huge kind of thing, you know, in the past couple of years or a couple of years ago. But kind of to me, it seems like they kind of faded. Uh, and I think one thing is that yeah, it takes hours to print even the most simple simplest object. Mm-hmm, exactly. Like they are kind of tooted as the next big thing in the manufacturing industry. But you're right, we're not quite at that level of mass production just yet. Like I know Adidas um, is kind of doubling down on its efforts to create 3D printed shoes and personalized uh, systems. But again, like you, you have to pay a lot of money for it. You have to wait a long time. Uh, and it's just not quite mass market just yet. We may have a, you know, maybe five more years before we hit that point. But I guess, you know, we'll see this starting to happen in, in clothes and stuff. And, you know, uh, I'm interested to see what kind of materials 3D printers will be able to, to work with. Right now, it's just kind of, to me, it's been mostly like plasticky or uh, food uh, or metal. Right. I mean, you know what? They are actually starting to print like human body parts. And I, I recently did an article, too, on them printing or some company was printing 3D eyes. So, so these things are happening, and it is possible, but, I mean, those are very, very expensive technologies. The, the plastics, the metals, uh, the materials are definitely much cheaper, but still, they are quite expensive uh, regardless. We're talking with Mandy Kovacs, all about 3D printed shoes in our futures. Thanks for joining us, Mandy. Thank you for having me. When we come back from the break, more tech to talk here on Get Connected. Stay tuned. You are back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here in studio. Let's talk about office suites now. Most of us uh, use them uh, in some form for uh, work or even at home. Uh, Microsoft obviously being one of the most popular ones out there with their uh, Office 365. Well, Google's had their uh, G Suite uh, for a number of years now, and it's becoming more and more popular. On the line to uh, talk about it is uh, our good friend Peter Vogel. Uh, he's been on the show a few times before. He's an award-winning computer and physics teacher and uh, also a technology columnist with the BC Catholic newspaper. Thanks for joining us, Peter. Good morning. Uh, wanted to talk about uh, G Suite. I know this is something uh, that is big in education, and now there's uh, rumors swirling around that uh, even uh, Facebook is uh, potentially looking at it again, even though I, I believe Mark Zuckerberg uh, banned it back in uh, 2011. Uh, why is it uh, gaining steam? Right. Uh, well, it seems to be a picture across the uh, the, the technology uh, field 
the uh, the younger uh, employees have uh, been used to using G Suite or Google Docs tools, as they were called at one time, and they're beginning to demand uh, uh, such access, and uh, they feel that the the tools are much more collaborative natively, uh, whereas uh, Microsoft has built uh, collaboration in as an after-the-fact thought. So that, uh, in part, is what's driving it, and uh, that would be a major victory, I suppose, for for Google to sign up 27,000 employees, uh, especially uh, coming on the heels of another deal, apparently, with uh, Airbus industry in Europe, 130,000 employees. What's the cost uh, difference between uh, Microsoft and, and Google? I know a lot of people use it for free, but I imagine when you're you know, bringing it into a large company, there isn't a cost associated with it. Sure. I, I can't speak specifically to the enterprise-level costs and you know, negotiations, of course, that go on between these, these big companies and maybe heavy discounts, but a, a typical tech startup is going to be paying, uh, say, $15 a month per employee, and essentially, that gives them uh, all the productivity tools and the uh, the email tools that they would would need. In the past, uh, a startup would have run its own uh, exchange box, uh, server, associated tech costs, licensing costs. It, it's dramatically uh, cheaper. Well, it's interesting uh, with Facebook uh, potentially looking at it. Uh, like I said earlier, uh, Mark Zuckerberg banned it back in 2011, uh, and I, you know, there are a number of reasons. I think a big one though was. Uh, uh, there was some heavy competition going on with Facebook and, and Google, especially with Google getting into Google Plus, right? Right, right. And and Google Plus, of course, has has had its star fade uh, somewhat, um, and, and so these two aren't as competitive as they once were. And maybe Facebook could even benefit from uh, integrating some decent search tools from the the Google front. Uh, I understand Facebook will also, uh, as part of this, uh, drop its deal with. Uh, Dropbox for cloud storage and, and move its employees to Google uh, Drive for storage. So it's a, it's a bigger picture uh, type of solution here. It's interesting. I just wonder what the long-term uh, outlook uh, is uh, for uh, Google and the G Suite. You know, if you've got uh, a number of uh, you know educational institutions, uh, schools. Uh, I know you use it in your classroom. Uh, the kids get used to using it. Uh, they're probably much more likely to want to use that in the business world than office, which they might not be as familiar with. Right. And, of course, we shouldn't be teaching specific tools. We should be teaching processes. But uh, we've run experiments in our own school. We had a a particular lab where we put half Chrome boxes and half uh, Windows boxes just to see what would uh, would occur. And students, it was a drop-in lab, students always preferentially went to to the Google uh, equipment, and uh, that's simply continued. I mean, we've been running some form of Google Docs since 2005, when it was called Brightly before Google uh, took it on, and then we expanded it dramatically by 2010, went to Chromebooks. Chromebooks are the preferred device in many, many schools now. Yep, students are growing up with, with Google Docs, and it's a, it's a native uh, collaboration tool to them. Has Microsoft done anything to try to uh, win back uh, students? Sure, um, on, on a number of fronts. Of course, they've they've been known for, for running negative advertising against Chrome devices that that they've mercifully um, pulled away from under the new uh, CEO Satya Nadella. Um, they've recently, in fact, just this week, rolled out free versions of Microsoft. 
teams, uh, something like a 10 gig limit. I'm, I'm not sure of the exact uh, parameters at this point, but that's seen as an attempt. Um, Neither of these companies is hurting. They're they're both at the top uh, of the market for their share price at this point in time, and Nadella has driven Microsoft to three times its share price since he took over. So they're they're not hurting, but um, you, you know there are uh, inroads here, and as you say, longer term there are implications for Microsoft. Talking with Peter Vogel, uh, award-winning uh, educator about uh, G Suite. Thanks for joining us today, Peter. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on the program. When we come back from the break, more tech to talk here on Get Connected. Stay tuned. You are back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here. Still got a bit of time left to talk some more tech. Let's uh, get our app of the week first. What do you got, Graham? So this week's app of the week is kind of a weird one. Uh, Coffee meets bagel dating. (laughs) Where do you find these? (laughs) The dregs on the internet. Yeah. Um, So this is a free app, but it does have some very hefty in-app purchases. Um, and this is actually for people who are tired of swiping and trying to find a date only to never hear back when they message someone. Um, they, this is, they've advertised this as finding relevant high-quality matches. So every day at noon, um, you'll receive potential matches. They call them bagels. No real reason for that that I can tell. Um, and they're pre-selected so you don't have to swipe all day. Uh, the algorithm takes into into account things like uh, age, height, religion, ethnicity, and some more nuanced factors like your social networks and interests and all that sort of good stuff. Uh, guys will receive highly curated matches pre-selected by the algorithm. Uh, for the ladies, you'll only be sent bagels that have already expressed interest in you and are serious about connecting with you. Uh, they know your time's extra precious, so that's, that's important for them. Uh, so once there is a match, they'll connect you in a private chat room and provide some icebreaker questions uh, so that you uh, can basically as bagels then meet virtually over coffee uh, that's really what i've got for you here there is a premium membership um and basically it will take into account things like how likely are people to send the the first message and so on uh there is 50 dollars worth of in-app items to help you connect sooner um and you have a subscription which is uh about 35 bucks us per month uh, $75 per three months or over 120 bucks US every six months. So if you're looking for a more curated dating experience with less swiping and more bagels, uh, a Coffee Meets Bagel dating app. Always interesting apps from you. Don't forget to listen to our sister show. Uh, Graham's also one of the co-hosts on that. The App Show. It's on every Sunday here on the Chorus Radio Network broadcast from CKNW 980 here in Vancouver. It uh, runs from 10 to 11. We cover all the latest and greatest apps your uh, iPhones, Android phones, tablets, smart TVs, a lot of great stuff. And uh, definitely I recommend you tuning in to that. Graham, uh, I just wanted to quickly talk about uh, digital assistants. Um, there's kind of a, a war going on between Google with their Google Assistant that are built into their uh, Google Home speakers and obviously their Android devices uh, and Amazon with their Echo and uh, the Alexa voice assistant. And I've come to a realization because I've got both in my home and I've been using them both. I think Amazon's going to win this one. To be honest, I have to I have to agree with you. I've got an Amazon Echo at home, and I'd kind of looked into getting a Google Home device. I'd looked into getting a HomePod. You know, I'm I'm a notorious Apple guy. I love my Apple stuff. Yeah. Uh, but HomePod was just sort of it was very expensive. And trying to integrate that into my Sonos system because I've got you know thousands of dollars sunk into Sonos at this point didn't make a whole lot of sense. So with uh, with the Sonos, I mean, right now they've just released their new Beam 
device. Yeah, it's a soundbar for TVs at a pretty reasonable price. I think four ninety nine Canadian. Yeah, for like a high, you know, it's a high quality soundbar with Sonos. Uh, multi-room uh, system built into it, and Alexa. And Alexa, and they've got the Sonos One at this point. Um, looking at that and the way that, you know, Google has, they've tried to integrate uh, in with Sonos as well. Um, it's not, been Not happening yet. It's been delayed and delayed and delayed. It looks like it's probably going to happen this quarter. But Amazon, with their skills and all this sort of stuff, has actually made it far more accessible uh, for third-party speaker manufacturers to get into the groove with Alexa. Well, so I'm, I'm really on the home uh, automation side now. I'm really trying all these smart home gadgets and devices. I've got smart switches. I've got the smart thermostat, uh, even my my robot vacuum cleaner now. And I just find tying it in with um, Alexa, and I wanted Google to win because I love Google. <laughs> I love Google. I, I got a Google Home to start and I love it. But Alexa, it just makes it much easier. There's thousands of skills. These are the little things that make all these smart home things work. It's just so much easier, and Alexa is just one by, by a mile. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm using my Alexa system to tie into my HomeKit system. So basically, again, I've kind of got Apple guts to this whole thing. But Alexa is actually my interface for this right now, more so than Siri. I can actually still use Siri when I'm outside the house. Yes. So I've got uh, I've got an August Smart Lock that's connected to my system, and when I'm talking to Siri uh, through my phone, I can unlock and lock my front door, no matter where I am in the world, yes. which I find to be very handy. But um, I'm using Alexa right now to uh, you know operate my lights. I've got that tied into my Lutron system because I've got Lutron. Down throughout the house and that actually works for me so alexa tends to be this sort of interface between a number of different systems through my home kit as well which uh you know again for the money that i spent for an echo dot was actually a very economical way of getting into this system and works almost seamlessly yeah it's uh it's it's interesting and i think that's kind of the cool thing uh, you know a lot of people might be a little apprehensive to get into this smart home technology uh, but what I think is exciting is that, um, you know, whether you go with Amazon and their, uh, you know, Alexa uh, products uh, or Google, they're kind of a unifying uh, thing because you can have different devices from different manufacturers. And as long as they adhere to, you know, being able to work with Amazon, Alexa or, or Google, um, it kind of unifies it all. It'll make them all work together. Yeah. And I, I mean, it, it's been a, a very effective way of doing that. But it's cool, like because in my house now, I I've you know, Amazon Echo has taken over with their Alexa. I I can use it to turn off any of the lights uh, in my home or on. I've got that August uh, Smart Lock as well. I can have uh, Alexa lock it up uh, at night, or you know, I just ask, hey, is the door locked? And it'll tell me. Yeah, which is kind of cool. And uh, if my uh, if my living room needs vacuuming, I can just say uh, Alexa, you know, ask Roomba to uh, to clean. So, so the interesting, it's cool. It's really cool. <laughs> the interesting thing here is like, what could Google do or what could Apple do to catch up? And, you know, furthermore to that, is Microsoft even in the running on this one anymore? Oh, with Cortana? Yeah. No. No. <laughs> no. It, it, they're all trying. And even Roku has come out. You know, the Roku, you know, smart TVs? Yeah. They've come out with a pair of uh, wireless speakers and they're working on their own digital voice assistant. Yeah. Well, and, and Samsung had Bixby as well. And I've heard like Bixby was a kind of a bit of a disaster when it launched. And Yeah. Word on the street is that uh, they fired the guy behind it <laughs> and they've basically built it from scratch again. That's prob- It just sucked. That's probably for the best because I did not have the greatest experience with Bixby. So no Bixby for you. Who can catch Alexa? That's the real question. <sighs> It'll be interesting to see. That's all the time we have left. It's Mike and Graham logging off for Get Connected. Don't forget to listen to the app show tomorrow morning, Sundays, 10 to 11 
on CKNW 980. See you next time. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app, Tune in Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.